You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that promotes strong female characters who like to slice through people with swords. Episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the best Green Lanterns ever to grace a comic book page, unfortunately that don't show up in this book at all. Hello again, my name's Sean Engel, and I probably may have already said that, but I've got short-term memory loss, so forgive me. And plus, I'm just too damn lazy to go back five seconds to the recording and check to see if I said my name. But that's beside the point. What is important is, today we're going to be covering Green Lantern number 23, which is a issue that's going to deal with a bit of violence, especially violence perpetrated by one Carol Ferris, the star Sapphire. Seems she's holding a bit of a grudge against the Green Lantern Corps in general, and Hal Jordan in specific. Plus, uh, Jon Stewart's not too happy with her either, for reasons that I'm certain if you've listened to this podcast, you'll be aware of. But this time around, I don't have really that much in the matter of preamble, but I do have a new iTunes review. So I'm going to go ahead and promote that person who was kind enough to give me a review right here and right now. And the review goes, Engel Knows the Secret, and it's by Mr. J. David Weeder, host of Pad Smash, co-host of Green Lantern's Light, and the new 52 Adventures of Superman. And the review goes, this show has one of the single most important ingredients in a comic book podcast, love of the subject. Not to mention a very engaging host, tons of great humor, great music, and a great subject. Keep it up. 
Well, thanks, David. I really appreciate the review. iTunes reviews, I guess, the more you get, the more it sort of promotes your podcast in iTunes. So I appreciate every review that I get. And if you guys aren't listening to any of Jay David's podcast, I'm going to go ahead and plug him here. Pad Smash is an Incredible Hulk podcast where he's dealing with the Peter David run of the Hulk. Plus, he's also covering other Peter David penned issues like Spider-Man, and there's an issue of the Fantastic Four as well that he's doing this week. The New 52 Adventures of Superman, obviously, is covering the Superman comics in the New 52 universe, and he co-hosts that with John M. Wilson and Michael Kaiser, another great podcast to go listen to. But finally, the one that I'm most interested in is Green Lantern's Light, a show which he co-hosts with Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bradley. That's covering the Green Lantern comics from, well, essentially the Len Wein run up through Crisis and up to where, well, wherever the series takes them. But thank you, Jay David, or Javid as he likes to be called, for doing that iTunes review. Listeners, if you're not listening to these podcasts, you definitely need to be. But speaking of listening to podcasts, I'm going to go ahead and take a little break drop some promos for some podcasts in, maybe one of Jay David's, possibly, and then we're going to come back after a few minutes and get to the review of Green Lantern number 23. So, stay tuned. Let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are.
Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Green Lantern's Lantern's light. Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Just once, in a lifetime, does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium, that redefines what it is to be an internet radio broadcast that touches us, reaches into us, inspires us, teaches us, that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are, that expands our horizons, that makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design just once in a lifetime but while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented why not give a listen to hey kids comics Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever-evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at apleyland.podomatic.com. That's Hey Kids Comics. It's alright. On May 30th, 2011... DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. It's not true. That's impossible. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions. He likes it. He likes it. Opinions began to change. 
The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. And we're back. So, preamble out of the way, podcast promos out of the way. Let's go ahead and get to the meat of the issue, which is Green Lantern number 23. Green Lantern 23 was cover dated April 1992. And just for giggles, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the release date as well, which the release date for this comic was January 28, 1992. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 60 pence UK. The title of the story this time out was Memories. Writer, as always, was Gerard Jones. Penciler and cover artist was Pat Broderick. Inker was Romeo Tangal. Letterer was Albert de Guzman. Colorist was Anthony Tolan. And editor was Kevin Dooley. Like Snow White, Carol Ferris has woken from her glass coffin, ready to meet her Prince Charming. Unlike Snow White, she is woken possessed by Star Sapphire, ready to slice open her Prince Charming. One Hal Jordan. Attempting to stop Sapphire, Brick moves between the former lovers as Hal tries desperately to get Carol to remember. But what she does remember is her defeat by the great hero as she slices across the chest of the stony lantern. Hal fires a ring blasted Sapphire, saying he doesn't want to hurt her, but she mocks him, saying that his compassion was his weakness, and in order to win, he will have to hurt her. Ah ah tries to subdue Sapphire gets the same sword to the gut as Brick did. Hal is still trying to reason with Carol, but to no avail, and the two go through some breakup fighting McFightenstein. Copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved. Meanwhile, Creon is reeling from the destruction of his ship, as well as the defeat of his brother Hemon's forces. Creon tells the mulleted Tom Selleck porn flick extra that he wants no more bloodshed and the acquisition of Star Sapphire was supposed to keep the losses low on their side. But the Zamoran warrior proved too much for Creon and his people, and Creon was ordered to kill her. But he still believed that she could be made to fight for the Tevins, and Flicker had promised that Hal Jordan would tame her. Now Creon feels that she is the only hope that they have for ending this conflict quickly. Back in space, Sapphire is chasing Hal taunting him with how she murdered Kat Matui. Realizing he has to change tactics, Hal flies back into the heart of the Tevin fleet. 
Hiding amongst the wreckage, Hal loses Sapphire until she passes by and he gets the drop on her, relieving her of her sword. Sapphire doesn't need her sword, however, as she blasts Hal in the face with her Xamarin power. Hal returns the favor with a ring blast of his own, but this one is meant to be a probe to her memory, and for a moment, Carol rises to the surface and begins to tell Hal of her feelings. But the moment is too short as Sapphire takes over again and socks Hal in the kisser. Wrapping her hands around his neck, she begins to choke the life out of our hero until Creon's attack ship flies towards her. Sapphire makes a grab for her sword, only to run into the phasing villain, Flicker. He prepares to wrap his whip around Sapphire until it is shot from his hands by a blast from Creon's ship. Angered by the breaking of their business arrangement, Flicker phases onto Creon's ship, demanding answers. Creon says that the Sapphire and Green Lantern will now be considered as prisoners of war, and Flicker's services are no longer needed. Flicker politely departs after severing the pilot's arm with his whip. Meanwhile, some space-suited Tevins are trying to recapture the unconscious Hal, when Brick ring-blasts the t- attackers away. Brick pleads with Hal to stop trying to reason with Sapphire, and Hal seems to agree. Brick also mentions that she's called in all of the other Lanterns to help out. Hal is shocked, as he hoped the call wasn't also made to Jon Stewart. But, of course, the call was made to Jon Stewart who is heading up a meeting of the peaceful transplanted on Oa. Getting the message, John screams that they found Star Sapphire. Hot Widamom Rose and Tomar too try and stop him, but it's too late. And as an enraged John Stewart flies from the meeting, Rose tells the gathered aliens that Star Sapphire was the one who murdered John's wife. Back in the war zone, Sapphire is hiding from the Tebbin forces when she's caught by the whip of Flicker saying that he won't be able to subdue her. Flicker says that wasn't even on his mind. His plans were for them to join forces to defeat Hal Jordan. Meanwhile, Hal is wondering how to keep John from killing Sapphire. Realizing that he needs some muscle for the job, Hal admits Boudicca to the core to in order to help in the fight. At the same time, Sapphire is breaking into Creon's attack vessel, as the chieftain is now prepared to bring down the Samron at all costs. Cutting back to Hal, he realizes the outlook is grim, as Aa is disabled, Brick is passed out, and then he's in Noah's shape to tackle the Sapphire alone. But help is on the way, as a faint emerald light draws near. But, much to Hal's dismay, the approaching lantern is none other than Jon Stewart, and Hal realizes that his problems have only gotten bigger. Okay, is it just me? Are we seeing a trend with female characters, or at least female characters who have relationships with superheroes in the DC universe? I mean, we've got Jean Lorang, the Adam's wife, who, if I recall, oh, killed Sue Dibney and then set her on fire. Then we've got uh, Lois Lane, who hasn't killed anyone, but... She was really kind of nutsoid, especially if you listen to uh, Michael Bradley's super, or Thrilling Adventures of Superman. You'll find out that she was pretty nutsoid, especially when dealing with Clark. And 
then you've got Carol Ferris, who gets possessed by a alien warrior princess and decides to stab and slice through people with a giant broadsword. Way to go, DC. Minor commentary over now. Let's go ahead and get to the notes, and we'll take a look at the cover. It's a really nice cover. Uh, most of the covers for these past few issues have been outer space backgrounds, and that really looks nice. However, the characters in the foreground, I've still kind of kind of nitpick at. You know, Broderick, as I've mentioned before, still seems to have this inability to draw feet at times, and they're... They just don't look right. It's off-putting. Again, Star Sapphire is front and center in the cover, and she is essentially two giant circles ahead and a bunch of Pantene Pro-V infused hair. It is bouncing and behaving. And finally, the one little nitpick that I have is John Stewart. Now, if you remember at the end of the uh, Mosaic storyline, John took off his gloves so he would have a more real connection with the ring. You know, the way Broderick draws him here, though, is he's got his gloves off, but his sleeves only come down to about his middle of his forearm. In the rest of the book, his sleeves are black and they come all the way down, so it's just a weird kind of image on the, on the cover, one that doesn't carry through into the comic. Page 3, panel 1, we've got the Carol doing the old Kirk wipe the blood from your mouth with your fist move. It's it's an epic Star Trek move, and Carol's doing it right here, right after how basically punched her in the face with a ring blast. Then on the same page, panel 3, we get, well, basically on the previous page, we get Star Sapphire slicing open Brick's stomach, and then here she does the same thing to Ah. And I'm wondering... How does that hurt them? I mean, they're both mineral people made of rock. I know they're living and whatever, but do they have internal organs? How does it cut them? Wouldn't it dull the blade? It's a myriad of questions. I guess you just have to pass up because it's a comic book. Page four, some of the dialogue on here is just really ridiculous. You know, we've got Carol going, That's my boy, Hal. You'll have to be quicker, more resolute, more masterful. Be a man, Hal. Prove you love me. And Hal goes, I do love you, Carol, but I want to help you out, out of your mental imprisonment. <laughs> Jeez. It sounds like the uh, the issue's coming a giant episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. It's not fun. Page 5, panel 4, we get the first look at Hemon. Creon's brother, and essentially he's Tom Selleck. He's got the giant mustache with a mullet. And yes, this is definitely a mullet. Sorry, Michael Bailey. It's party in the front. Or, sorry, business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, the characters, or at least the art design in this book, is very stereotypical of the 90s. However, the story writing, you know, makes up for the kind of goofiness that that decade sort of portrays. Then on the same page, panel 5, we get Creon monologuing and talking about Star Sapphire, and we get a sort of, I guess, hollow image or a kind of dream-type image of Star Sapphire as she's chained up, and it's kind of dirty. She's in her, you know, uniform with a 
ball gag in her mouth and her hands chained between her legs and she's in a squatting position. It's creepy, you know. Might wonder if Creon's into a little BDSM. Maybe Creon read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Who knows? Page 7, panel 2. We get Carol taunting Hal with some pretty nasty taunts. Um, She basically describes what she did to Kat Matui. Line reads, I can still see her. Her taut red skin peeling back at the prick of my blade. Her blood dotting my hands. Eek. Just another example of the bat guano craziness of Carol Ferris. Then on page 8, panel 3, after Hal's gone to uh, try and lose Carol in the wreckage of the Tebbin fleet, he comes flying out behind her, and he looks really wonky. The way the way Broderick draws him, he's got his right arm sort of cocked back like he's going to do an uppercut, but his knee, his right knee is in the foreground as he's flying towards you. It really looks like, you know, it's just a really weird design. It looks like, well, it looks like his right limbs are somehow fused on one side. It's really just a bizarre piece of artwork. Then page 9, panel 3, we get another example of a Green Lantern pointing the most powerful weapon in the universe at a person's head and shooting it, trying to help them. I've got to wonder how often in the core this happens and actually how many times it actually works to their benefit. Page 11, panel 2, we've got to give some more credit to Albert Guzman as he's earning his keep by keeping just enough space between the capital L and the capital I of Flicker's name as Carol sees him and calls out his name, which she could have misspoken and called him something else. And page 13, panel 1, we see an image here of how Flicker disarms his enemies. Get it? He disarms his... Oh, of course you get it. (sighs) Page 15, panel 7. After Brick is told Hal that she contacted all the lanterns, Hal's like, Oh no, don't tell me you called John. Of course not. Then, page 16, panel 3. She told John! Ah! Brick, about as smart as a bag of rocks. Possibly literally. Of course, on page 19, panel 1, we get Brick saying that she's called every one of the Green Lanterns, except that awful guy. Oh, sure, call him the GL whose wife was murdered by the person he needs to do, but don't call Guy Gardner. He'll be too hot-headed. He'll mess everything up. Way to go, Brick. Then on the same page, panel 4, we get the image of Hal summoning Boudicca, and I'm kind of wondering if the internet was as prevalent, you know, back in 1992 as it is today, if there'd be some Star Sapphire Boudicca slash fiction written. Ugh, I don't want to think about that. And finally, on page 21, panel 6, Hal has his Captain Picard facepalm moment as he realizes the lantern who's first there to help him with Star Sapphire is none other than John Stewart. Who boy. But that does it for notes. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of the ads, see what they've got to sell to us this time around. 
And again, on the front end side cover, they've got a Three Musketeers adventure, but this time it's the reprint of the Tomb of the Last Mayan King, where the Indiana Jones exploring Three Musketeers guys find the giant ancient alien stored Three Musketeers bar. Come on, guys. Bring us more of these. These reprints of old ones are just getting boring. Then a few pages in, we get maybe some baseball cards that I could get behind. It says, introducing the wackiest and stinkiest baseball cards ever made. Flops. I guess as a play on the word tops, baseball cards. Comical action photos. Premier smells of the season. I don't even want to know what that is. And ludicrous bios and stats. The most outrageous baseball cards, including big-name players like Ken Groovy Jr., Barry Bones, and Wade Bugs. So, 66 cards, including 55 lousy trading cards and 10 stinky scratch-and-sniff cards with real baseball park smells. If overused communal urinal isn't one of them, I would be surprised. Then next we get a new ad for Palladium RPGs, including such games as Robotech, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Heroes Unlimited, uh, what else do they have? Rifts? So these are basically some licensed uh, role-playing games, a la the lines of D&D or GURPS or Shadowrun or whatever else you guys played with. Sadly, I played with during the 80s and 90s. Um, Heroes Unlimited kind of looks uh, a bit like you know the Marvel role-playing game and maybe a bit like the DC role-playing game. So, Plus, they've got the license to Robotech, which is always a fun little game. I don't remember playing these. I was a D&D person, and the only one I really played was some Shadowrun and some Starfleet Battles. So these are a bit out of my box, but you know they look fun, so... It's nice to see that someone other than Wizards of the Coast are advertising here, or TSR, I guess, at the time. Then from Flops Baseball Cards, we go to Get All the Action, score 92 Major League Baseball Cards, so I'm certain you know my feelings on these by now. Next page, we get the Great Eastern Convention ad with their shows in Boston with uh, John Byrne, Mobius, Tom Lyle, Chuck Dixon, sorry, Mark Schultz, and Steve Bissett. And then their show in New York on March 15th, 1992, with special guest Rob Liefeld. So, come and see if you can get a sketch of your favorite Youngblood character. Then from Great Eastern Convention, we go to East Coast Comics, and their listing of all the comic books that are in mint or near-mint condition that you can buy. And it's odd, because just sort of browsing through it, the highest-priced comic that I've found it here is Spider-Man issue... Or, sorry, Amazing Spider-Man issue... 238, which I guess is a Hobgoblin issue. I checked it out on Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics, and the cover really wasn't all that impressive. It was written by Roger Stern. I think both the Ramitas did the art, but I don't know. It doesn't seem to be, from what I'm looking at, as a really seminal issue. I mean, it's even outpriced Spider-Man 252, which is the first issue with the black costume, and the uh, wonderful first issue of the adjective-less Spider-Man with uh, Todd McFarlane art in the silver bag, so kind of odd. If anyone knows why Amazing Spider-Man 358 would be going for such a price, give me a shout. Then the next page, we get an ad for Mile High Comics, which, I guess ironically enough, is located in Denver, so 
never really put the two together, but there you have it. And they've got all their new comic books at 50% off. So if you were buying from Mile High Comics right now, you'd probably be paying about the same amount as if you found these in a comic book store nowadays. Then a few pages more, we get the hodgepodge page with a new ad for Monster Island, the award-winning fantasy adventure play-by-mail game. Ooh, that sounds like tons of fun. I've never played a play-by-mail game, but I think I have some friends who played some internet games where basically you did something and then emailed it to the host or to the server, and I don't know how that'd work out in a sort of role-playing adventure. Never tried it. Then next page, we get the DC subscription ad with Wonder Woman, Batman, Flash, Aquaman, and Superman. Sadly, no Green Lantern, but Aquaman's there, so there you go. Then in the letter section, we get some letters basically praising the issue number 18, the Guy Gardner solo issue. In fact, we get one from Uncle Elvis, noted letter writer, saying that he sure hopes Guy is able to get it together. And he also wonders, are you sure Guy's last name isn't really Howard, I guess? making fun of the fact that Guy's haircut is a Mo Howard bowl haircut. And then also to mention, Bob Mezzercola of Stores, Connecticut, wrote in a explanation for how Guy basically didn't become paced when Goldface kicked him into the roller coaster in issue 18. Uh, it was a kind of... Well, it was kind of a silly explanation, kind of along the lines of him you know, bringing silicon from the ground to protect him and that silicon would have been invisible type stuff that they did in a few issues back. But he did kind of beg and plead and they did send him his official Green Lantern membership certificate. So I guess unlike the Baldies, if you become sort of a kiss-ass, you can be a member of the Green Lantern Corps. Then on the back inside cover, we get free real-life game posters for Skittles and Starburst. And they're basically these sort of wacky posters that show these people in various different, well, activities, be it sunbathing, surfing, going to the movies, and enjoying their fruity-licious candies of Skittles or Starburst. Neat. And finally, on the back cover, we get Bring the Hit Arcade Game Home... This time it's not just Smash TV, it's Super Smash TV. And between the time when the NES and the Super NES were still putting out games, if one game was for the NES, the ported game for the Super NES, which would obviously have 16-bit graphics and look a lot cooler and run, of course, on the Super Nintendo, would uh, have the title Super in front of it. So essentially it's just the same as Smash TV, except the graphics look a lot better. The uh, characterizations, you know, look a lot more like the arcade version. So, save your quarters and buy yourself a version of Super Smash TV for the Super Nintendo system. But that does it again for ads. Again, as usual, if you want to pick this comic up, you're going to have to go to your local comic book store, search through the bins, and see if you can find it there, because DC has not reprinted it either digitally or in trade paperback. So, shame on you, DC. But, as a consolation, we're going to have another episode of Just One of the Guys coming next week, where we're going to be wrapping up the storyline with the death of Star Sapphire. 
and the one thing that you can always be certain of is what they print on the cover of a comic book will definitely happen in the issue. So, stay tuned next week for that. Until then, I hope you guys have a good weekend, and we'll talk with you later. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely after my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly at a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting in. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, and be sure to leave me a review there. I'll always try and read it on the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast. The opening music for today's show was Smack My Bitch Up by Prodigy, or The Prodigy, depending upon where you get the album from. Hopefully, I would prefer that you get the album from twotruefreaks.libson.com. If you go to that website, up at the top of the page, there is an Amazon.com button. Click that. You'll be taken to the Amazon website, and you can either go download the song, download the album, or buy the CD. Plus, there is a other host of myriad things you could buy off Amazon, that would be sending a small amount of money back to the True True Freaks website, hoping make sure that they keep fine quality Demonzacore podcasts on the air, and help Chris and Scott get to Star Wars Celebration 6.